to another episode of the Listen In Podcast. We are on episode 77, which equates to the year 1977, Jake. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, fun fact, yeah. my number when I played football. Oh. Sort of a, you know, sort of a tough guy in high school. Per, you know, <laughs> Sort of a jock. Yeah, I've changed will. my ways. I've, I've gotten in touch with my sensitivity, but I think anyone who knew me... And, You're a fan of the arts now, clearly. Uh, yeah, right. Well, I didn't have much option after I... Um, didn't get into any college. Oh, okay. Right. And yeah. like, kind of weren't interested in playing at all. Yeah, no. So. In fact, I in high school, borderline didn't like it. Mm. Just basically didn't like it. So, yeah. Good start to the episode. Good, good cheery start as always for us. We don't talk about football or sports really that much on this podcast. What we do talk about is music. And Sean, in 1977, like episode 77, mm-hmm. um, lot of good albums. Uh, we yeah. we talked last. Week about 1976 being kind of a little kind bit of down a down year, yeah, a little da- little bit of a down year. Listen to the murderer's row of these albums. Okay. Yeah, rumors by Fleetwood Mac, mm. Marquee Moon by Television, Nevermind the Bullock, Sex Pistols. You've got um, Low by David Bowie, the Trans Europe Express by Kraftwerk, which I have I think listened to once, mm-hmm. but I know it's supposed to be great. Um, you have Talking Heads came out with an album. Pink Flag by Wire. I think Elvis Costello's first record, Asia by Steely Dan. So, mm, some good stuff. A lot of big ones, yeah. An up year. History-wise, Jimmy Carter got elected, and he pardoned the American draft dodgers from the Vietnam War. I'm sure that was much to the consternation of a lot of oh, uh, dude, can you red-blooded imagine, Americans. Can you imagine the dads of the time and what their perspective might have been? Like dudes who fought in Korea... Yeah. Or World War Two, even like they probably hated that. You know what's you know what's funny is if you want to get a perspective on who looks stupid looking back at history, just look at what white dads thought. Yeah, and you always, yeah. always, always will have what is now considered wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> so look at white dads now with all this Trump shit. Uh, yeah, and you'll you'll see in twenty years it's like yeah, well mostly you know sort of the white dads of the world. <laughs> they they didn't think global warming was real. Like, could you imagine if Obama had pardoned draft dodgers? Oh god, forget like, dude, about it. Fox News might they, melt down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting uh, times. Well, we're not a political podcast though, Jake. Let's we stick stick to music. Stick to music. Okay. Guys. Stick, couple couple detours though. Stick right to from the music. Start. You know what I think we're doing? We're just showing our range. That's right. This is yeah. kind of an audition tape <laughs> That's for the right. ringer, for, for NPR, for NPR. Yeah. One of those uh, podcasts. We'd fit right in at NPR, oh, according sure. to the dads of the world. Yeah, right. For sure. <laughs> All right, let's dive in uh, with some hot thoughts. So we had quite a few albums come out last week, over the past couple weeks, actually, because I think we just talked exclusively. About Boston Calling last time, or yeah, or the last two episodes. Last, yeah, yeah. So let's dive in with some other albums that came out. Um, Beach Fossils yeah. came out with an album a couple weeks ago about, um, and this one, Jake, is called Somersault. Yes. And what are your thoughts on this? So I don't have a very extensive listening history to Beach Fossils. Um, I know you've listened. To all their stuff, right? Or more than uh, I have? I, I've gotten way into their 2011 offering. What a pleasure. <laughs> uh, I've heard some other songs here and there. I've never taken the time to do a full deep dive on their all of their other stuff, though. Well, so I went into this without huge expectations. Um, but I gotta say, I'm, I'm really, really enjoying it. I think there's some awesome songs on here. The songwriting is really nice. 
Um, the production is is really really cool. Uh, songs like Sugar I love or Tangerine I think is really really great. Um, it, it's just like a nice collection of sort of that dream pop sound. Mm. Uh, but for my money, it's one of the better in that genre this year. I like it better than that real estate album. Oh, I already yeah. know. Um, it just feels like more of an energized or inspired record than that real estate album <clears throat> yeah, did. It, it's interesting because this sounds really, really similar. And I've always associated Beach Fossils and real estate. And I've always thought, oh, Beach Fossils is kind of the poor man's real estate. Real estate. Listening to this, though, the, the roles are kind of flipped or reversed here because, like you said, this one is a lot more interesting than whatever real estate put out. And I think that's because they're doing some different things than just the straight-ahead kind of jangly, dreamy, yeah. swirling guitar sound. And there's plenty of that to go around. Yeah, and there is, and, and, and that's all great. But I think since so many bands have done that now over the past few years, yeah. it, it starts to be in one ear, out the other. This one... Um, adds in some different instrumentation here. There's some horns. There's even like this sort of R&B-like song with Rise. And it just seems like there's enough different stuff happening here to keep you interested. Um, the songwriting's good. It's This, I think, is a pleasantly surprising album yes. at this stage in the year. Um, I, I was excited for New Beach Fossils, but I was like, you know, it's probably going to fall into that same real estate category. I, I, I like it quite a bit more than that. Yeah, this is one of those albums where I put it on the first time and I was like, all right, let's get through it and hear what it, you know. <laughs> this is a, such a good way to yeah. to go about listening to music. Yeah, I have a really uh, great outlook where basically I saw it, I was like, okay, we're going to end up talking about this, so I'm going to listen. And about halfway through the first listen, I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. Like, I actually really like this. Yeah. And then on my second listen, I was like, yep, still do. And yep. that's continued with every listen. So that's yeah. just a nice, exciting play-by-play <laughs> -play for me about each listen to this album. Um, at the end of St. Ivy, I wanted to point out, there's this cool little like riff that ends that song. That's one of my favorite parts of the album. I can't remember which song it is. There's one that features like mostly piano, right? And like... Is like a flute or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Or, I don't know, some woodwind. Yeah, I don't remember the name of that one, but yes, there is something along those lines. Fun fact, yes. Zachary Cole Smith from Dive used to be the drummer in this band. That would be a good uh, Two Truths and a Lie. Factoid. <clears throat> it would. You'd it get would. some people on that. Um, another band whose name starts with B, mm -hmm. who also came out with a new album, Sean, is Big Thief. What a transition. Wow. You know, just really, I just, I go for stuff that's really natural, <laughs> really normal, conversational. Not, not shoehorned in so, at all. You know, right. So the key, Sean, to a good, um, we'll edit this out. The listeners mm, will need to hear yeah. this. The key to a good transition is it has to sound like there wasn't one at all. Right. And you, you could have missed it. Just a little shop talk. Yeah, just exactly how I talk. So this Big Thief album, Capacity, um, this is their second album in as many years. Uh, they came out with Masterpiece last year. Um, this, I think, is pretty great. I do, too. And what's interesting about Capacity is I went into this with pretty high expectations because of all of the positive press that this was getting. A lot of Twitter hype from some of our favorite music writers. Good critical response on Metacritic. And I went in with pretty big expectations. I expected this to be pretty immediate, to grab me right away, to kind of take what they were doing with Masterpiece and really... Um, clearly build on it and I think for my first few listens I wasn't necessarily getting that I, yeah. I was thinking okay there's some good songs here like Shark Smile immediately stood out 
Coma immediately stood out, which I think is is one of the the better songs on here. Mm-hmm. Mythological Beauty stood out. There was a couple other ones here and there, but I was like, you know, there's some on here that I'm just not, it's not totally grabbing me. And I kept listening, and I don't know if this has happened to you, but this, this has kind of happened to me a lot this year. Maybe it's because of how many albums we end up listening to. I will sometimes just kind of listen in one ear, out the other. And if something isn't obviously grabbing me, I have the tendency to just be like, oh, it's not that great or right. it's sort of boring. I finally was able to really listen to this and hear what was happening on some of the songs that didn't maybe immediately grab me. And I realized what they're actually doing on here. And I, I think I've come around enough to say that the songwriting, I think, is actually better on Capacity than it was on Masterpiece. Masterpiece had this sonic big sound to it that did immediately grab you. But I think some of the subtler things that are happening on Capacity actually, I think it's a better album. I am inclined to agree with you. And I think one of the things that's um, that can be off-putting from the jump when you get into Capacity is with um, Masterpiece, like you said, there's a lot of songs that are pretty direct, like um, Real Love, Masterpiece, the song, Paul, yeah. that are like immediately catchy. Even the most catchy songs on Capacity, which in my opinion are like Shark Smile and maybe Mythological Beauty, yeah. are like maybe the most immediately catchy. Even those aren't as catchy as like no. the third most no. on that album. Right. It's a different type of thing. The songwriting in terms of like the way the songs are structured and the way they're what they're going for, it's less direct, it's less immediate. I think it's more fulfilling. And yeah. I'm hitting that stride yeah. now where I'm on like, listen, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, something like that, where I'm hitting the stride where I'm looking forward to all these different parts. Me too, yeah. And like it's one of those albums where if you wanted to try to show someone a song, it would be tough. You'd have to yeah, probably would. pick Shark Smile. Yeah. But it's it's one of those ones where I would end up just being like, well, I'll play a song from Masterpiece and then tell you that Capacity is a great album right. and maybe a better album. Um, I think that one of the standout things, and this is a lot of the press they've gotten, is how good, uh, I think her name is Adrian Lenker, mm. is the lead singer and songwriter in the band. Um, her lyrical, the way she writes lyrics, they're so dark yeah. and so like disturbing, but it's written like good fiction almost where yeah. like there's these characters they don't give it quite all to you but they leave a little mm. bit to sort of um mystery or to the imagination yep a I, lot of good imagery i agree and i think that's one of the things that held me back from enjoying it on the first couple listens was yeah. the, the lyrics are pretty dense yeah they can be pretty dark you really kind of have to listen to understand what's going on with them and it does take quite a few listens to really get it um, I, I agree with you that there's all sorts of little parts that don't necessarily stand out as a song at first. Like yeah. I, I'm thinking on like watering. There's this really cool melody that pops up towards the back back half of that song that I always really look forward to. And there's another one on um, Haley that does the same thing. There's one for me on Capacity. It's like um, part of the what you might call chorus, I guess. And I, I couldn't sing it. I don't know what the words are, but there's a part that I always wait for. And it is one of those records where it's like, it's hard to say like what song you'd show someone, but if you just listen to and get the experience over and over, you know the parts. Right. Um, and for me, those are like always the most fulfilling albums. Me too. And, and I'm at the point now where, like you said, I'm probably about, I probably listened seven or eight times and I'm, I feel like I finally get it now. And I actually really am in that zone where I look forward to listening and it's becoming 
like the only thing I really am in the mood to listen for, which which is always a sign for me that I'm really getting into an album. So I want to point out the song Mary because it seems mm. I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention it because it seems like the song that. It's not my favorite on the album, but it seems like the one that's getting the most attention from critics, in my opinion, or one of the ones that's getting the most attention, or it's getting written about a lot. Um, second to last song, it's one of the singles they released at first. Longer song, kind of a piano-driven, mm-hmm. softer, I don't know, ballad, if, if that's necessarily the right word. Um, what do you think of this song? I So I think this was one of the last singles to come out for yeah. this. And I think I listened and I was like, oh, that's different. That's a yeah. little different. I was like, huh, I wonder how that's going to fit in the album. Because I didn't necessarily love it at first, like right. some of the other stuff on here. In the context of the album and listening to it as the second to last song, I think it works really, really well. That's actually one of my favorites on the album now. I think the melody that ends up popping up on there, it really dives in it's an earworm and, and it's one that I always look forward to hearing and, and the lyrics are pretty dense there's parts where she goes on these long lyrical runs yeah. where there's so many words it reminds me of Joanna Newsom in a way oh actually. really yeah. how she'll cram in I could these see that. things on, on, on like a certain melody yeah the way she's singing it yeah and um yeah, I just think it's like one of those ones where, and, I, and for some reason, no specific me- words are coming to mind, but it's one where the lyrics are, again, like, it seems like there's something disturbing going on. You know what this album kind of gives me, or the feeling it gives me is like, and a lot of Adrian Lenker's lyrics seem to sort of circulate around this, it's like the theme of family or like young mm. parents mm-hmm. and like the unpreparedness of everyone in a family to be a family member to everyone else in that family. Mm. And honestly, the album cover... Where you see, I think it's her uncle, and I want to say that might even be her as a baby that is on the cover. I'm not totally sure, but I'm pretty sure I read that that's her uncle. That album cover, the look in that kid's eyes on the on the cover, makes me really uncomfortable. Me too. It, it just it reminds me of like because I mean she's I think around our age. I think she was born early '90s. The look, the aesthetic of that family photo, reminds me of like all. The fi- like old family photos that you can look through in an album or something from that era, and you know all the baggage that goes into it. To anyone else, it's just this picture of a guy holding a baby, but you know, like if you're in that family, all the weird shit that happens around him in his life or his right. family, and like what happened that day. Right. And there's something about that album cover that sticks with me. It's it's like. I don't know. It's grown on me a little bit. At first, I didn't like it, but I think it's grown on me. I know what you mean. It's yeah, it's cool because it's one of those ones where you know there is so much attached to that behind it. It's like it's like the iceberg. It's like the Hemingway yes. iceberg, where you're only getting the very tip of this, and you can make your own assumptions about it. But there's so much going on. There's so much story behind that picture. And I think that could be said to some of her lyrics as well. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, there's all this latent tension mm-hmm. like bubbling under the surface of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's really pretty music. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's right there. I think that's one of the things that sticks out to me about this album in general. I want to quickly talk about how this album's being received and the uh, the critical response to it. Yeah. So... Uh, this album actually, is, and Big, Big Thief is signed to to Saddle Creek Records, which is based out of Omaha and was actually started by Connor Oberst's brother. Okay. And Connor Oberst and Bright Eyes are a part of that label as well. And I bring that up because that was mentioned in the Meet Me in the Bathroom book. And I was oh. like, oh, that sounds familiar. So just an interesting connection there. And that label specifically goes for what they call this Omaha sound, huh. which has a little bit of like a twang to it, which I can I can definitely see with uh, with this 
particular album and, and Big Thief sound in general. But I wanted to talk about how this is received by critics because Saddle Creek, it, it's a true like indie label. It's, it's rather small. And I think they'll put stuff out that will probably maybe just get swept under the rug, ignored. Mm. And I feel like that's what happened last year with Masterpiece. Yeah. The, I, Masterpiece is a really, really good album that really didn't get talked about at all. And I feel like some of the response this time around was critics being like... So it was a little revisionist history by some people where they're mm. like, oh, last year, you know, they put out a good record. It's like, well, you never talked about it last year, but now you're playing catch up and you're making it seem like you were in on this the year before. Like, I, I don't know. Interesting. I, I'm, just, yeah, no. I, I'm, I'm seeing some some revisionist history happening from some music writers on this. I can see that for sure because Big Thief is a band that seems like publicly have a lot of goodwill with with fan like music listeners and serious music writers and stuff and the smaller blogs and it seems like they've blown up just enough where you have to review them to, to be taken seriously. Yeah. Um, do we remember what Pitchfork gave Masterpiece? It was like a decent review. I think it was like a seven something. Seven. It was in that range. It definitely wasn't a bad review. It was one of those ones that like it just it gets lost in the shuffle because it's another one of those seven point whatever yeah. that you know doesn't get a ton of play. And it wasn't like the first review. It was like a second or third one down or something. I think I think a lot of people just kind of expected like, oh, Big Thief, they're doing these folk rock songs. They're going to go away. Well, and it's weird because they are described as as folk rock. I guess you know, that always seems like somewhat of a reductive... I know. Although we talked about this. Yeah, right. Folk and indie folk, all that shit, all those genre labels can apply to like from everything from Sufjan Stevens all the way down to the Decemberists and stuff. So it can be like, you know, pretty disparate sounds. So I guess they, they do fall into the category. I always think of them as a little bit removed from traditional folk and more in line with just a regular rock band that yeah. plays some folky sounding stuff but yeah. some kind of quirky experimental mm. stuff too or mm-hmm. some just straight ahead music so but yeah it, it seems like with this album they're definitely reaching that like a new apex for them mm-hmm. and there, there's all kinds of there's a wave of critical love yeah. for the band in general and I think I mean it makes sense that they followed up a really good album one year later with an album that I think is better. And, and I feel That's like hard to do. That is really hard to do. And look at any of the new bands that came out with something last year. No one else has, has come out with anything else. Pine Grove is working on one. That's not going to be out till I think, 2018 at the earliest. Like They, I think, were, were like, we're on the cusp right now. Let's just put something else out if we have the songs. And it has paid off for them, obviously. And I, I guess I read. I think Stephen Hyden interviewed um, Adrian Lenker for a, an Uproxx piece, and she said that they started working on it like right away. Yeah, after yeah. they finished Masterpiece. So That's great. Definitely, I'd say definitely listen to this one for sure. Yeah, this is one of my favorites that has come out in in a little bit since probably that Alex G album. Yeah, I'd say that it's probably yeah, I think it's the one that stood out to me the yeah. most. I think that the the Beach Fossils I've been listening to a similar amount, but. It's it feels less like something I really love and something I'm just enjoying a lot for right, right now. now. Yeah. It's not going to be one that I am clamoring to go back to at the end of the year. Yeah. It'll be like, oh yeah, I was listening to that in June and it was good for that time. Yeah. But you know, it's a good summer album. For yeah, sure. yeah, for sure. Um, how about let, let's quickly touch on Phoenix? Okay, so they came out with a new album. It's called Tiamo. Tiamo. Yeah. Uh, this is their follow-up to Entertainment, which came out in, I think, 2013. So it's been a little bit since Phoenix came out with a new album. Phoenix, 
are a band who have a lot of cachet in the indie rock world. I think you could describe them as one of those indie rock stalwarts, one of those legacy indie bands that their reputation almost precedes them. Where tentpole, it tent, yeah, tentpole indie act where it almost doesn't matter what the songs are anymore because they're just going to be so popular based on their name. I think we sort of touched on that with Arcade Fire. We talked about that with Spoon and Real Estate to an extent earlier this year. Um, I feel like this album is their weakest that I've heard. So you're, so you're talking entertainment? I've actually only listened to, to um, entertainment and Wolfgang, Wolfgang in which I know is probably heresy to certain people who swear by... Well, that's um, all I've listened to as well. Yeah, but there's other people who will be like, no, the best Phoenix album is one of their other ones. One that <laughs> I don't came even, out in the late know. 90s or something? Yeah, uh, like mid-2000s. Oh, were they around in the late 90s? No, it looks like their first release is in the year 2000. Oh, okay. Um, got you. But yeah, obviously they blew up with Wolfgang in 2009. We got way into that at the end of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed... Oh, it's Bankrupt, not Entertainment. Oh, um, Entertainment's the name of the song. And, yeah, that's the, that's the single. You know what that's we're doing right now, Sean? We're firing on all cylinders with people, this Phoenix talk. The people who tuned in to be like, ooh, I want some Phoenix takes, yeah. they have the wrong people talking about Phoenix, and clearly. Un- well, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to like save the day at all <laughs> because I've listened one time to this and had an immediate reaction of like, I feel like it's good. To be honest with you, this is a bad sign. I couldn't tell you how any of the songs go, or really even identify one I of them. Either. You know, oh Jake, there's a song called "Tutti Fruity" on here. That is like okay. This is a conversation we should have at some point in a larger scope on the podcast. But looking at albums, looking at track lists, and picking out early on what's going to be your least favorite—that's <laughs> yeah. that's it's a, it's a sort of yes. a science because you have to look in that track seven to ten range. <laughs> And you have to look for the one with just the dumbest title. Sometimes you're yep. proven wrong, but usually I can pick what'll yep. be the worst song. And it might be over five minutes long. That's a that's a big indicator. <laughs> yeah. um, and Tutti Fruity is a candidate. I don't know how good it is. So I think I think we might be giving this Phoenix album. This is one of those albums. This happens every few weeks during yeah. Hot Thoughts, where we're excited about a couple other albums. We probably don't give. One, the, the the attention it deserves. The time of day. And we just kind of write it off. That's what's happening with Tiamo right now. But to that point, I don't think critically or fan-wise, I've been hearing many positive things about this anyways. And that's why I, that's part of the reason why I haven't bothered to spend a lot of time with it. Did big friend of the pod, Kelsey, ask if we thought Phoenix was going to be in that competent rock yes, grouping? This, this was a mailbag question from a month or two ago. Yeah. It asked exactly that. Is this going to be along the same lines of Spoon and Real Estate as a competent indie rock record? I, 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 it was kind of like... Uh, uh, What's the word? What's the term I'm looking for? Where like you predict something and it comes true, like forecast, eh, something like that. So you guys know what I'm talking about. It kind of self fulfilling prophecy. Ah. It became a self fulfilling prophecy with this Phoenix album that I was just gonna be in that zone, and I'm really not gonna try with it. I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't care enough about it. So and yeah, we should get off this subject because I have. I'm realizing now nothing to say. I don't really have a take. I don't have anything to say, and I was just gonna like try to manufacture one but why i think the only the interesting conversation to have about it isn't even necessarily the music yeah it's how bands like this 
are perceived and taken now by the general music public. This feels like an album to me, and again, I've listened one time, so big disclaimer, but it feels like an album to me that a lot of people will buy a lot of, or will listen to and may like, but very few people will love. This is, this is interesting to do. Looking at a band like, like Phoenix in the context of their career, you're going to look back and be like, ooh, yeah, Tiamo, that was like... Eh, that was, you know, I, what I like to do is compare it to bands from yes. the past. It's like, this is their Led Zeppelin presence. Good- where, like, it doesn't, if you're a real, real fan, you're like, no, there's good stuff on there. And you try and speak up for it. Yeah. But you know it's not as good as their other stuff. Another good band to do that with is the Rolling Stones. Yes. You'd be like, this is their Bridges to Babylon. Yeah. Although, to be fair... They need to be around for decades that's, longer to reach Bridges true. to Babylon because yeah, it's that, like they're black. They're black and blue. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Bridges to Babylon came out in like 1997. So crazy. Is there anything worse than a classic rock band releasing an album in the late 90s? Dude, is there anything less appealing? No, no. You know what's interesting though? Quick, quick side note that I learned in uh, Meet Me in the Bathroom at the time, late 90s. You know how we always talk about how? Wait, why weren't there any? like big rock records coming yep. out then other than like okay oasis. computer and, and like oasis i guess a lot or like newer bands who yeah. are really like new exciting bands emerging bands i guess a lot of the major labels merged at that time and a lot of the projects that had been signed to some of those labels just kind of got lost in the shuffle and dropped hmm. and so some of these bands who might have gotten signed just they, their stuff really never saw the light of day, and they just kind of got lost in the shuffle of these big record companies merging. That's why when the Strokes came out in 2001, it was this barren wasteland for for like new exciting rock bands, and that's why that was able to really like take people by surprise. Talking so, about catching lightning in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. That, there's so much luck that goes into that, I and know. also talent. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, like yeah. the same thing yeah. about like people say that about the Beatles too, with the Kennedy assassination and coming to America. Like sometimes it's circumstance, but it's like you if the band doesn't back it up with good songs, then there's nothing they're not gonna go far. You know what's a, a fun ter- uh, word? Happenstance. Happenstance is good. I thought you were gonna say watershed. Is watershed that like a watershed event? One. Yeah. Um speaking of water, yes. Sometimes when it rains there will be thunder. See Sean, that's a, this is a segue where you want it to be supernatural. <laughs> right. And again we'll edit this out. No one even knows I did that. That's speaking true. of thunder. This new band, Thunder Dreamer, mm. uh, came out with a new album. Um, I saw a review of this record on Pitchfork. It got a fairly positive review, like high sevens, okay. from Ian Cohen. Yeah, um, and which means that he loved it. And was it? I was gonna say, was it one of those Ian Cohen reviews where it reads like it's an eight point five, but yeah. it gets a seven point six? I think I only read half of it, but it was one of those ones where you could just tell, like, if he's giving something in the rock genre, something in the high sevens, Pitchfork is like, well, that's the highest you can give it, right? And that's the that's just right. the bottom line. So this is a band from Evansville, I think Indiana or Kentucky. It's right in that area. You don't hear a lot about bands coming out of um, that geographical locale. I feel like you do, though. Isn't Kentucky kind of like a... Bowling Green gave birth to a... Hotbed? Cage the Elephant is from Bowling Green. Okay. Um, it just feels like an area... Maybe it's Indiana, I'm thinking Maybe Indiana. They're known for their basketball and their, their, their... Pawnee, Indiana, Parks and Rec That's locale. Right. Yeah, Hoosiers. Yeah. But so this is an album. Jimmy Chitwood. 
Right. This is a rock record, sort of dreamy, big vocals mm-hmm. on it, which I think is the biggest highlight about Thunder Dreamer. Um, couple big standout songs to me, You Know Me and The Bridge are a couple mm-hmm. of the ones I really love. This is an album that's been in my rotation here and there, and it's growing on me. I don't think it is great. I think it's a good album with some great songs, um, and I, it's one that I just can enjoy listening to. The atmospheres that the band creates mm-hmm. in terms of like what the guitar is doing over the, you know, the way the instruments sort of intermingle, yeah. I guess would yeah. be the word. Yeah. And I think the biggest highlight, and I think this is what Ian Cohen said in the review, is the singer's voice. Yeah. It's beautiful. There's there's points where he sounds to me a little like Brandon Flowers. Mm. There's points where he sounds a little like, I don't know if Bono is the right comparison, but it's someone with like a big sort of moaning yeah. sort of voice, um, mournful sound. Yep. I, what, have you listened to this record? I have. I've much? listened a couple times. I don't have a, a ton to say on it yeah. other than I, I think I'm right there with you where it's good, not great. Yeah. And I think that's what's holding me back from listening more because... I'm enjoying Big Thief a lot. I'm still enjoying Alex G a lot. Some of my other listens have been going towards those when I probably could be giving them towards this. Um, I agree. I think You Know Me is a really good song. The Voice, I agree with the Brandon Flowers take as well. I thought the same thing. I don't have a ton to say other than I think this is a really solid album um, that just might kind of fall through the cracks in a busy year of a lot of Solid albums, you know. Yeah, I, I could see that. I think it's a sol- I think it's their first album. It's a solid debut. Um, it looks like they might have had an EP in 2015, but oh wait, no, hold on. I'm not familiar with this band. It doesn't seem because in 2015 it looks like they came out with a full album, full length, Lonesome, Lonesome Morning. Morning. And also, I I missed it earlier. The name of this record is Capture. So if you're okay. interested in listening to it, it's called Capture. I'd say start with You Know Me, The Bridge, and maybe Live On Without Me. Those are my favorite songs on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth listening to. Also, you know what also attracted me to it? We talked about album covers earlier. It's cool. Album the album cover. cover is really neat. The it album is art. Cool. It looks good. This sort of like faded. Painting or photograph of sort of old like pine trees. trees. Yeah, 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 it's cool. Yeah, it's it's good. It's solid. I would recommend checking it out. Um, I think overall, good crop of of new music. Oh, the last one I want to quickly, quickly touch on is this new Planetarium record. Um, oh yeah, I saw that. This Sufjan Stevens, uh, Bryce Desner, James McAllister, one other guy. They all collaborated. It's kind of I would describe it as it's a lot of orchestral arrangements and some ambient stuff with Sufjan Stevens' vocals over it, really. In theory, I was like, oh, Bryce Desner, Sufjan Stevens, a couple of my favorite artists. This is going to be great. It's 17 songs. It's an an hour and 16 minutes. It's long. It's a long, long album. It... I think Pitchfork actually nailed it on their review. They're like, it's it sounds huge, it sounds big to the point that it kind of feels bloated and like there's too much. And I think some of the cool Sufjan stuff gets lost with some of the orchestral arrangements. Now you still get some of the awesome horns that you'll find in like a national song in the background. Bryce's guitar sounds good. There's good stuff happening here. It's just I tried to listen a second time and I struggled to get through it. I was like, I, you know, there's not a lot that stands out on its own necessarily. I yeah. don't know. You really got to be invested in this. You got to be a big Sufi on head to to really love this. I didn't give this a listen because I, I was planning to maybe listen to it, but I wanted to get your take on it first. And 
You know what I think happens sometimes with these like kind of super groups? I mean, yeah. I guess calling this a super group sounds silly because these are pretty low key guys, the Desner brothers, <laughs> right. and I mean, it's just Bryce, right? Right. But Sufjan, they're not like larger than life figures, but it's kind of an indie rock super group in a way. Yeah. Um, I think what happens with a lot of these is like no one has really the guts to tell anyone else that an idea isn't good and sometimes things come out bloated because they're like well we're kind of taking everyone's ideas on every song and who really is the one who is leading with this vision like there's multiple songs that are over six minutes long there's a 15 minute track on here like seems a little excessive there's there's some cool stuff happening there's parts of songs that I really really like it's just I was going through the second time I was like all right let me pick out some songs that I can maybe like go back to, cut this down a little bit. And I was like, you know what? There's only pieces of songs, really. And, and I'm kind of with Pitchfork on, on their, their assessment that it is a little bloated. It's too long. I don't know. I, I, would, I would say if you're on the fence about listening to this, it's probably okay to skip it. Is there a song worth listening to? That, like... Check out the first track, Neptune, actually. Okay. And then the song Pluto is pretty good, too. They got like a planetary theme going with the name Planetary. Yeah, oh, that's what it's about. That it's, makes sense. It's about like, select, like, you know, a little space, basically. There you go. Um, that's a very Sufjan move. Yeah. They have time. like a themed big record. Time. So, uh, okay, so Fleet Foxes is streaming. Uh, we, found, we also found out that it leaked a while ago. Yeah, from big shout to big friend of the pod, Ryan, who let us know on Twitter. Um, much to our embarrassment, because I had no idea. I don't know if you if you knew. I did know, and I was just like, I'm not. I, I'm not getting U Torrent. I'm not going down that whole road again. I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. Right. I'm too lazy. Yeah. And I just rely on Spotify too much to bother doing that anymore. So I was like, fuck it. I'm gonna just wait until the album comes out. And with Fleet Foxes, we decided um, we have both listened to the album. Uh, one or two times, but we're going to save our takes for next week when we've had more of a chance to break it down and probably dedicate a fair amount of time to it yeah. since they're, I'd say, one of both of our favorite bands. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of the more anticipated records for the year, so we didn't want to just stick it in a Hot Thoughts uh, segment. Right. Uh, so it'll, it'll get its own segment next week. Yes. Uh, so with that, uh, we have a main conversation topic today. So this was something that I found on the Indie Heads subreddit, and I thought it was a really cool question to, to kind of pose on the podcast. So the question is, which five albums define your taste in music? So these aren't necessarily your favorite albums, but they're the ones that represent the sounds and genres that you are most into. So... I think the first way to tackle this question is kind of figuring out what your five go-to genres are. Mm -hmm. uh, and the ones that I came up with were, the first one is being kind of rap, hip-hop, R&B. I kind of all mixed that into one as one of my go-to genres. The next one, I just had a general rock category. Mm -hmm. um, just like... That could be all-encompassing for a lot of different things. It could yeah. be indie rock, classic rock. Like I just kind of had an all-encompassing rock one. I kind of broke off into two subcategories that I thought were pretty major. One is kind of that emo, alternative punk, kind of the heavier side. I, I associate that a little bit different than just that broad rock one. Yep. Um, and then acoustic folk or, or that indie folk genre that we've talked about before. I associate that one as a little bit different too. 
Uh, and then my last genre would be kind of instrumental, ambient, electronic, jazz. I understand that those are all very different genres, but for me personally, those all kind of fall into one because I kind of treat them all the same when I listen to them. Yeah, and because we have very similar listening habits, I just took your selected genres and kind of made it a template for myself. So the ones that I have picked for my list are along the same lines. I could have you know, been a nitpicker or it could have split hairs and said, like, well, I like this genre a little more than mm. genre, this genre a little less, so I have to include those in some other way. I just decided to, for simplicity and for the for the sake of the segment, use the same genres. Yeah, yeah. So we have the same template for our okay. segment. So I, I want to reiterate, not necessarily favorites right. here. They're basically the ones where you can say, okay, for each of those five genres, this album in particular has enough of the sounds that are associated with this genre that they kind of are almost all-encompassing of what that genre means. Oh, okay. So that, that's at least how I took it. Got you. Um, so some of my picks here might end up being a little bit different than what you might have. So a distinguishing factor I'd say that's slightly different from the way I did it is I almost looked at it as what is my... It's not necessarily favorite, but almost like what's my favorite... My, um, my ideal sound for something in that genre. Oh, it's like something okay, that okay, that, okay. that I would hope an album could kind of ascribe gotcha. to, okay. or work like sort of work towards okay, being. Okay. Um, in some cases, it did end up being yeah, my favorite, but I, it's not always. Yeah, I took this as not not as what I want the genre to sound like or what my ideal sound is. It's more of if I were trying to describe mm -hmm. all of the different pieces of and sounds of music I like yep. with just an album here's what I'm throwing out because of X reasons and I'll, I'll actually I'll start I'll, I'll go through with mine and I'll kind of tell you why I picked the albums that I did so okay. let's start off with the rap hip-hop R&B category here I think this was actually one of the easiest ones for me to pick surprisingly I, I picked Take Care by Drake and I'll tell you why this album has so much of what I like about rap and hip-hop and R&B in here. And it might seem like a weird pick at first, but you, you end up having freestyle rap on here. You have the big pop hits for rap on here. You have slowed down R&B and singing stuff on here with stuff like Marvin's Room. You have multiple guest verses by really big rappers. You have Kendrick making an appearance on here. You have Rick Ross on here. You have Rihanna showing up, too. So this has a lot of stuff that I think you could branch off in other directions. You could be like, well, I really love Kendrick Lamar. It's like, well, he's on here. You're like, well, I like the R&B version of Drake. It's like, well, you got Marvin's Room. You're like, well, I like pop hit rap Drake. It's like, you got Headlines. I like when he collabs with Rihanna. Like, you got the Rihanna song, and that goes off on so many different directions. Yeah. And you could play Six Degrees of Separation for days with this album. Sure. You'd be like, oh, this guy appeared on this Kanye West album, so you're getting that element. And, like, you're getting all this different stuff. And I think that's kind of to Drake's credit, where he, he understands what's good about all of these different pieces of his genre, yeah. and he integrates it all into one. So for that reason, I'm going Take Care for for my first one. Let me ask you this: Do you want to go back and forth by genre, or do you want? Yeah, to yeah. Let's, let's do, do all that. yours. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. What, so okay. for your rap hip hop. One. So the rap slash hip hop album I picked, and it might seem kind of obvious, but I picked um, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy by Kanye because my favorite type of rap. If I'm describing my taste in music, that album actually sums it up perfectly for rap. Where what I'm really looking for is one that's like the production is in, is like 
perfect yeah. or in, or insanely you know sort of creative and i think that that has stood out as my it's my favorite rap album of all time but it also is pretty much what i'm looking for in the genre and i think if if i'm trying to define what's my taste for rap it's like something where production is a main component and there's really interesting creative things going on even outside the verse mm-hmm. also kind of like take care it's one where there's a ton of different sort yeah. of figures popping yep. in and out absolutely um you know Nicki minaj has that famous monster verse kid cuddy's on here um it, it, honestly, jay-z push a t rick ross yeah. you know like it goes on forever goes on. so that one john that's right yeah that's yeah. right that would have bonnie Vare is yeah. even on so that actually would have been my second pick yeah he could have even been the first i wanted to do a different one it, it was one where it felt obvious where right. i was like well it it's my favorite right. but i think it also gets at like what am i looking for in a rap album if i'm going to explain to someone what my taste is it's like really that's it's, it's it that. that's the template yeah. for it yeah it's absolutely. like it's kanye's style of rap circa that era yeah. where it's kind of the again the production is this big grand thing and that could stand as a song on its own. Right. And then there's great verses on top right. of it. So that's why I picked that one. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm going to do my all-encompassing rock, rock okay. one here. This one's hard because what I kind of have to do with this is get my kind of classic rock oldies kind of fix. But also incorporate some of the new school, more straight ahead indie rock that doesn't fall into the more emo or punk genre. So there's a couple different ways I could end up going with this. I thought about London Calling by The Clash, even though you could call that punk, but I think by that time they went on to be something different. The one I actually I ended up settling on is Abbey Road by mm-hmm. The Beatles. Because I like it. I think th- some songs on here like Come Together, I think is a really good representation of like that 70s rock sound. Yeah. Um, you have some other stuff like I Want You, She's So Heavy is that more bluesy jam stuff that you could get down with. Kind of like acid rock. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's even like some Led Zeppelin feels in there mm-hmm. that you could go with to kind of like satisfy that need. And then you get on to the back half where there's, there's like these short little vignettes where, you know, it just it encompasses a lot of what I like about rock. The instrumentation's there, the songwriting's there, and it, you know, it's the Beatles. Like, if you're gonna pick someone who had an influence on almost all the other music that you listen to, it's probably gonna end up being the Beatles. So, for that reason, I, I, I think I'm gonna go with Abbey Road. Yeah, and I use some of that same logic. I ultimately picked a different album, but also by the Beatles. I picked the White Album because to me, um, what I love about so many great records, sometimes it's like the eclectic feel. I like to see bands stretch out and like try different things. Like London Calling is an example of, a, of an mm. album that's like that, where the Clash try, you know, they're doing straight ahead punk, they're doing some like ska sound. Yeah. Stuff. They're even doing like reggae, new wave pop almost with right. like Lost in the Supermarket. Right. And on the White Album, the Beatles did a thing where I think there's a little bit of something for everyone because they have some of that pop sheen on songs like Martha My Dear. They also get a little more raw on like your blues or on Helter Skelter or back in the USSR kind of is a rocker but it has more production. Um, It's also almost like cheating because there's so much on there and it encompasses so many sounds that it feels like, I mean I could have picked Abbey Road too and I, I, I almost considered it. And this is one where it isn't my favorite. If I had to pick a favorite album of all time, it's still Revolver, so obviously that would be my favorite Beatles record. But if I had to pick one that more encapsulates all my tastes, mm-hmm. is the White Album, because you have 
so much represented. It's almost like the logic we're using with the R&B category, yep. where we're picking an album where it's kind of everything in the kitchen sink. Yep. You got silly songs on here like Piggies and like, you know, pretty much half the stuff Paul's writing for it, <laughs> but I still love it. Yep. And then you have, you know, some like you said with She's So Heavy, grinded out dirty blues songs that John's bringing to the table. Um, and it's just like a really solid rock record. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, so I, that's why I went with the White Album. Yeah, I think that's a great pick. Um, so I'm going to do my kind of emo, yep. but also punk rock, alternative rock one. This one was really hard because you could go in a lot of different directions with this where you could be like, what's my ideal sound? What is maybe the most all-encompassing sound? Yep. I ended up going with The Monitor by Titus Andronicus here. And the reason for that is I was thinking about this genre. I was like, well, what what makes me really like this genre? Part of it's really catchy songwriting. Part of it's intensity. Part of it is the vocal style. And I think this encapsulates all of that in a really good way. And I was thinking, too, about uh, when I was growing up, American Idiot was an album that I, I would consider a gateway drug to this type of music. And I think The Monitor is like American Idiot, but even better and like like an adult American Idiot. Like right. if you're writing American Idiot and you want it to actually make sense and mean something, right. you write The Monitor, right. which is probably really offensive to like true punk heads who like are all about Titus Andronicus and are like, how dare you compare... <laughs> You know that music to to American Idiot. I get it, but to me, there's there's elements that are that feel similar at least. American Idiot being one of my favorite albums in that genre. The Monitor also being one. I figure I think you can go back and you can tie Titus Andronicus to a lot of other stuff in the scene there because there's a lot of different types of songs on there. So that segues to mine in some ways because you mentioned American Idiot. That's one of the ones I considered for this. I also considered Enema of the State by Blink-182 because basically what I've come to grips with over the years is that even though the ideal of punk is raw, the ideal for punk music is this raw expression of some a lot of times anger and it's like the production is almost nothing and, and that's like what people think of as true punk. I've come to realize that what I actually really look for in this style of music is pop hooks. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, yeah. and like, I think I've had to slowly over the last couple years come to grips with the fact and admit to myself, like, maybe I don't love pure punk. Mm-hmm. Maybe I le- love pop punk. And I love <laughs> yep. punk. Like, Titus Andronicus is something I really enjoy too, but stuff that has some hooks in it and stuff that can kind of sink its teeth into me melodically. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I came down to is I was considering either that pizza album by Tiger's Jaw yeah. or Never Hung Over Again by Joyce Manor. I think I'm going to go with Tiger's Jaw. Yeah, I, I, I feel like that makes sense because I, I think it's a little more all-encompassing of, a, of that genre and what you like about it where Joyce Manor is very straight-ahead, yep. myopic vision of what that sound can be. Yeah, and... and like with Tiger's Jaw, the it's so fucking catchy the whole way through. The melodies and harmony, like harmony is a big one for me. If there's harmony yeah. on an album, vocal harmonies all yeah. the way through. You you basically you've got me if they're good. Yeah. 
they, they do that well. And I just think it has, it's one of the, this is what I'm talking about when I said like, what is like that sound I'm looking mm-hmm. for in an album? That's how I thought of this mm-hmm. uh, um, sort of question, this overarching question of like, if I'm describing what's my taste, again, the Tiger's Joy album, I don't think it's my favorite pop punk album or punk album. In fact, I think there are some songs near the end you could even argue are a little weak. Um, but I think that the sound they do on there is great. The reason I considered American Idiot, but ultimately went against it and didn't pick it is, and Anima of the State for that matter, is I was like, well, while I love those albums and while they kind of set in motion what I would look for in later punk records, um, I realized that I don't love a lot of the stuff that came out around the same time that kind of sounds just like it. Yeah. The Sonically, they don't sound like other records I really like. Yeah, that's I, I like Blink-182 and I like Green Day because I think they were like the best at it at mm-hmm. the time, which I'm sure, again, I'm sure that's heresy. Right. Because, you know, people who are all into pop punk, I'm sure they have 10 bands that are like better than both of them. Right. I don't because right. I wasn't all in on it. <laughs> right. But I liked these records. But yeah, I'm going Tiger's Jaw. I, I like That's a good pick. That's a good pick. Uh, so two more genres here. I will... Round out the rock ones with the the folk indie folk indie uh, or folk rock uh, yep. genre here. I could have gone in so many different directions with this because this starts to en- encapsulate artists like Bonnie Vare or Fleet Foxes or Avid Brothers or yep. Sufjan Stevens. You can go so many different ways with this. And this is exactly an example of how you could just easily basically cheat the lines of the genre. Because yeah. if you pick like the new Bonnie Vare record, right. that's like that's basically like, an, it's an electronic, electronic record. Album. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So what I ended up thinking here was, I was like, okay, well, what's my favorite? My favorite is the first Fleet Foxes record. Yeah. Is that all-encompassing of that genre? And do you get everything out of that that you end up listening to? Probably not, actually. Even though it's my favorite, there's other stuff I like about that genre that isn't represented on that album. Yeah. What I ended up going with was Midnight Organ Fight by Frightened Rabbit. And the reason for that is you get a lot of different stuff that ends up representing folk rock. So you have ones that are just purely singer-songwriter with an acoustic guitar just straight ahead in that Dylan mold or like a tallest man on earth or something like that. You have those types of songs on there. You also end up having more straight ahead rock songs on here. Um, You have like the Modern Leper or Fast Blood. So you have that stuff. You have ones that are that very much feel like a folky old standard with a song like Old Old Fashioned. Um, So there's a lot of different stuff that's happening here that I think you could tie back and be like, oh, yeah, that's kind of like a tallest man on earth. That's kind of like an Avett Brothers thing. Oh, you could make a connection to Sufjan or Bonnie Vare or Fleet Foxes from this. So even though Midnight Organ Fight, while I love it, isn't my favorite from that genre, I think it encompasses all of those sounds that I love the most. Yeah, I think I, I kind of went back and forth with this one. I gave some thought to maybe picking a Dylan record like Highway 61. Mm-hmm. Or Blonde on Blonde or something like that. Ultimately, are those the albums? Would I like to hear other bands doing that sound that aren't Dylan? No, No. not really. It's not that engaging unless it's Dylan doing his crazy shit. Um, And so that kind of has to get ruled out. I think a little bit about Tallest Man, but it's kind of more of the same. Like, do I want to hear other guys do that sound? Is that really all-encompassing of what I'm looking for in folk? Not so much. I actually just had this thought. And I don't think it's the one I'm going to pick, but it's almost like going in the uh, for you frightened rabbit vein. You could go big thief here. Yeah, it's a good point. You could like, and I, again, these albums are too new to me to do that. But I could see five years down the line being like, yeah, capacity is exactly what mm-hmm. I'm looking for. 
because you got some of the acoustic stuff, you got some experimental stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, and this is boring as hell, I just went with the Fleet Foxes' mm-hmm. first album, not the Fleet Foxes. I was going to say with the first album by Fleet Foxes, <laughs> right. and it got inverted in my sentence. Um, you know what actually might be better, though? Helplessness Blues. I think, yeah, I actually think that's probably a yep. better representation it, of that folk sound. This yeah. is a game time swap. Yeah, happening I think you're right. happening mid episode. I'm going Helplessness Blues because as much as I love that first Fleet Foxes album and the Sunshine EP and the sound and aesthetic of that, it kind of applies to the Dylan logic. Where do I want other bands doing that? Is that really what I want? Like all of my folk listening to sound like? No, because I think they do it best and I kind of think it's better if people don't imitate it. Helplessness Blues has a lot more experimentation in terms of instrumentation they include. They sound more like a rock band on it. Um, And it still has that folk kernel, that aesthetic there Mm -hmm. at its heart. So I think I'm actually, yeah, I'm going to last minute switch to Helplessness Blues. I like that. I'm with you on that. That probably would have been my second pick, to be honest with you. Um, Okay, so the last one I have here, this one is... This one's tough because it's so many different genres all rolled in that I'm rolling into one kind of unfairly. So this is kind of the instrumental, jazz, ambient, electronic one. This, it, almost impossible to do. But again, it's explaining your taste. My taste for all of this is Discreet Music by Brian Eno. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is you get the first half of this album, which is a true straight-ahead Brian Eno ambient track it's like 30 minutes long that's in the same vein as like music for airports um it's in the same vein as you know more traditional ambient music that you could like on the second part of this it introduces some instruments in the form of uh i forget what the actual classical orchestration is but it's basically a like remixed like chopped up version of that sort of um, that turns into its own ambient piece so I'm getting the instrumentation of jazz there I'm getting sort of the producer mentality that electronic music brings but it's all rolled up into this ambient package with the strings on the second half of discrete music so for that reason I'm getting traditional ambient but I'm also getting elements of all these other genres in it uh, discrete music is my pick. I like that pick. I am going with "In a Silent Way" by Miles Davis for mine. Um, my favorite jazz record of all time is "Kind of Blue." Still, um, I listened to it again the other night. It's still incredible mm-hmm. to me. Uh, but again, if I'm describing what I'm looking for now, going forward, when I'm looking for music, this one popped immediately into my head because it's become my second favorite Miles record. And I, the other day, I was looking. I googled albums that sound like in a silent way because mm-hmm. I was just looking for other shit that mm-hmm. has this mix of like proto ambient, which I saw it described oh, as on uh, Wikipedia. Yeah, proto ambient. It has um, sort of the guitar stuff that I think is yeah. way ahead of its time yeah. that John McLaughlin's doing yeah. on it, where it's like very spacious, totally vibe over technicality, and then you have um, obviously Miles killing it with what mm-hmm. he does. Uh, but it, it, it's that mix between it's jazz. It's not quite the jazz fusion that can be borderline unlistenable, right. like on Bitches Brew if you're not in the right mood. But it's very palatable to a modern audience. I find that in a silent way is this record where anyone who listened today would be surprised how accessible it oh, is. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, because yeah. so much of it, I, it, it almost feels like post rock. 
Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is weird to say because it's pre-rock. Right. But, um, or I guess of rock because it's from 1969. But that's what I'm going with because it, it encompasses definitely jazz. It's very firmly implanted in jazz, but it's also experimental. It's also forward-looking. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that kind of gets at what I'm looking yeah, for when I'm absolutely. looking for a record like that. Absolutely. Yeah, so this was an interesting question to do. Uh, I'd be interested in what the listeners would have as the five albums that define their music taste. Yeah. Uh, so get at us on Twitter, at ListenInPod. Let us know what you think. Um, Give us your list. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's do a quick Mount Rushmore here, Jake. So let's just come out and say that we're doing Mount Rushmore of Sean's. <laughs> Because you, this is actually kind of a joke that we just ran with because you put, like we have in our our sheet here that we're going off of, like, Sean, you pick this. So it's Mount Rushmore colon Sean, as in it's your pick. And I was just like, oh, I'll do my Mount Rushmore of Sean's because I was like, I thought it was like you picking the category. So it was kind of a joke. You ran with it. You did your own. So we're going. We're doing Mount Rushmore of Sean. That's actually really, really funny because I looked back at it and when I saw you ranked them, I thought you had picked Sean as a category. No, and I I even commented on our Google Doc that we use as an agenda. I was like, "This is a fucking hilarious um, Mount Rushmore topic." It's really funny. I think we should do Jake's next week. Yeah, let's do it. It's really, really relatable to everyone who's listening. (laughs) Who did you have as your top four Sean's? My top Sean's. I have. I went from the sports world. It's kind of a tie here. I have Sean Alexander, the running back from the Seattle Seahawks, uh, also on the cover of Madden 2007. Big um, shout. Big also, friend of the pod. This is kind of a tie with Sean Kemp, the uh, also on a Seattle sports team from the Seattle Supersonics, who would be like high on cocaine on the court or like crack or something. So, um, big friend of the pod. Yeah, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna keep that as a tie there. Uh, my next one, I have Sean Bean. Of uh, Game of Thrones fame, he played Ned Stark, obviously. He was also a character in GoldenEye, 007. He was mm-hmm. 006. Uh. Fun fact. Uh, Sean Bean. Uh, then I have Sean Connery on here because I feel like Sean Connery gives Sean's a cool name. Like, when you think of the essence of cool, Sean Connery Sean cool. Connery comes up, so I, I'm going with him. I, I haven't even seen one of his James Bond movies. Have you seen the third um, Indiana Jones? Yes. He's in that. Yes, I, I have. Isn't he Indy's, yes, Indy's yes. dad? Yep, I have seen that. Um, other than that, I'm, I don't know a lot about Sean Connery. My last one, I have also the essence of cool in a very, very different way. It's your boy! <laughs> I have Sean Carter, Jay-Z. Uh, like people that. forget that his name is actually Sean. I could have also gone with Sean Puffy Combs. Yep. P. Diddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually some cool Sean's out there. There are some. I there's not a glut though. No, there's not. I no, I, there's just enough to fill a Mount Rushmore and yeah, like that's it. Because I did some searching and I was like, ooh, the sh- famous Sean's yeah. Wikipedia is not looking yeah, great. No. Um famous Jakes aren't much better off. Uh so this is my Mount Rushmore. I got how could I not pick Sean Howe? Oh. My friend and co-host. Oh. Come on. Uh, Sean Bean, because he has a name that looks like it'll rhyme, but it doesn't. Yeah. I picked Sean Figgins, <laughs> not because I even remember what team he played for. I think he uh, played for the, the Angels. Angels. Yeah. yeah. Was he an outfielder? No, he was a second baseman. That's what I said, second baseman. <laughs> um, not for any of those reasons, but because his name is spelled C-H-O-N-E, that's how they spelled Sean. Yeah. Um, I guess his real name is Deshaun. Okay. 
But I'm going with Sean. You could also Spots. pronounce that Chone Figgins. Chone Figgins. Yeah. Um, and then I got Sean Brown, who was um, a friend of ours who died before his time, sadly. So yeah. R.I.P. to Sean. That's, but he's up there for me. That's a solid Mount Rushmore of Sean's. Quick, let's do a quick ranking of the spellings of Sean because there's <laughs> many different. I'm going to give you a top three for okay. me. Uh, S-E-A-N, the way I spell it, I'm going number one because okay. it's a little pretentious that you would spell something so phonetically wrong. Right. Uh, it's also Irish as fuck. It is, And, yeah. like, annoyingly so But what's, what's weird is, like, you got Seamus and, like, there's other names that seem more Irish to me. Maybe it's because yeah. I'm so used to Sean. Sean was a big name growing up. A yeah, lot that's of, true. I almost made my Mount Rushmore just Sean's I grew up with. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That could have been I that would have been funny. Big shout to those guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going with that one first, and it's it's the way I spell it. I think it looks the coolest, too. Okay. Um, second, I'm going with the Sean Figgins spelling of it. I think it's hilarious. So I'm going with that one second. And uh, last one, I'm going with the S-H-A-W-N spelling over the S-H-A-U-N or S-A-U-N. There's an S-A-U-N? Oh, wait, no, 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 there's not. Actually, sorry. No, there's not. I fucked that up. Song. <laughs> I was like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Well, I guess neither does your name phonetically. That's I'm, true. I'm actually going to go Chone first, <laughs> okay. just okay. for the fun of it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go S-E-A-N second, and I'm actually just, as a little contrarian play, going to take S-H-A-U-N okay. third. Um I like it. I think the U looks classier than the harsh W. Yeah, you're probably right, actually. Less angular. Yeah, you're probably um, right. You're probably so, right. okay, tweet at us, listeners, and let us know your ranking of Sean's spellings. And then in a DM, because we don't want this public, let us know if this was the worst segment we've ever done. Right, right. It won't be. It'll be one of the best. Uh, okay. Let's bring back train, Trim the Fat, Jake. Okay. It's been a couple weeks since we've done this. We've had some long episodes um, let's do what we said we were going to do two weeks ago, Physical Graffiti by Led Zeppelin. Yep. This is one, when I thought of the concept of Trim the Fat, this was basically the poster child for it. And just as a reminder to listeners, the idea of Trim the Fat, if you haven't heard it before, is we take a bloated or overlong album and reduce its length to 50 minutes or below. So Physical Graffiti at its current iteration is 15 tracks, which is not a lot of tracks to mm. work with. At an hour and 22 minutes. That's really long. So we got to cut a lot of minutes with not a ton of songs to do it with. No. Um, so really quick, I'll run through the track list just as a reminder to okay. listeners. You got Custard Pie, The Rover, In My Time of Dying, Houses of the Holy, Trampled Underfoot, Cashmere, In the Light, Bronyurar, Down by the Seaside, Ten Years Gone, Night Flight, The Wanton Song, or Wanton Song, Boogie with Stew, Black Country Woman, and Sick Again. Uh, hey, hey, mama. <laughs> What's going Can that be our first cut? Can we get rid of Black Country Woman? Yeah, okay, so just as a quick note. Hey, hey, mama. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Although, Sean... That means we can't keep. Um, wait, it's this song that starts with the plane going overhead, right? Yeah. And then no, nah, like, no, nah, leave it. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy, we got to get this plane in. No, nah, leave it. Yeah, leave it. Yeah. That's <laughs> well, maybe that's the best the part. Best part of that song, probably. But we're gonna we're gonna miss it. We're we got to cut it. Black yeah. Country Woman. All right, that's gone. We are down Dude, to fourteen tracks. A buck eighteen now. You know what's gotta go? In my opinion, I think Night Flight is not great. Dude, thank you. Yeah, Night Flight. Uh, it's. <laughs> It's a misstep. I, I re-listened to the back half of Physical Graffiti today because I hadn't listened to the back half in a long yep. time. 
Um, Night Flight, to be honest with you, is a song that I forgave when I was younger because I just was so in love with Led Zeppelin that I was like, oh, I don't care what, like, I will make myself like the song better than I do. This is a half-baked song if there ever was one, dude. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, especially from Robert Plant. Yeah. The riffs are fine, but that's that's par for the course. They're nothing special. Robert Plant is with he can't f- find his footing. No, he can't. No, he's just song. a male time performance by <laughs> It really is. We're probably offending someone who loves that song. Someone but. writes to us from SoundCloud, um, SoundCloud ID night flight six nine six nine four twenty. Led Zepp. <laughs> you guys can fuck yourselves. <laughs> uh, I think the other easy one is the wonton song. Is, so that's probably another one, right? This is interesting because for me, I think of Bill Burr. For me, <laughs> um, I have that higher than some others, but I think ultimately it's going to have to go. Yeah. Um, I, wait, I'm actually forgetting how this even goes that's the one off that has, the top of my head. It has basically the same riff as Immigrant Song. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a cool song. I was going to say, this is one we should wait. a cool song. We should wait a few tracks to cut that one. Okay, okay. What what I think we can realistically cut is, uh, even though I like it, we could probably get rid of Boogie with Stu, can't we? Yeah, I do do like that song. I think it's cool. I think the story behind it's cool. Yeah? But... You lose some of that. I feel like, yeah, you probably do have to get rid of it. It's just nothing special. It's like, it's again... Sadly, it's Robert Plant doesn't totally bring it. This will end up on Coda anyways, so we're still going to be able to hear it. We just have to wait until later. Fair enough. Okay, so with three cuts in, how much time do we have? Okay, not a lot. We're still at an hour ten. We still got to cut 20 minutes, and we're at 12 songs now. You know what's hurting us is a couple songs on the yep. on the first half. It's, it's Honestly, it's In My Time of Dying at 11 minutes, and it's Cashmere at eight and a half. Well, I don't think we can get rid of either of those, though. Well, Cashmere, we absolutely can't cut. I also think the same for In My Time of Dying. And here's the thing. I like In the Light. I do. If we're going to get this down to weight, yeah. if we're going yeah. to make, uh, make weight on this album, this song is almost nine minutes. It's definitely better than some of the other stuff Agreed. on the back half. But if we're cutting length... And we can't cut any of the other long songs. I don't really know how else we get there. I, I'm with you on that. In the light, it starts off with that overlong drone synthy intro from John Paul Jones. It's cool, granted. It starts the back half off on a little bit of a drag, though, if you're not totally in on that. So, yeah, I think In the Light probably makes sense to, to cut. And then what are we dealing with? An hour even? We are at an hour two. 11 songs. We still got to cut 12 minutes. So for, for context, the first half is still totally intact. We have Custard Pie, The Rover, In My Time of Dying, Houses of the Holy, Trampled Underfoot, Kashmir, Bron Yurar, Down by the Seaside, Ten Years Gone, The Wanton Song, Sick Again. The only song in the back half that I thought was untouchable was Ten Years Gone. Agreed. I think you can't get rid of Ten Agreed. Years Gone. Here's, that's that's one. That's a great, great song. I, I agree. That's actually one of my all-time favorite Led Zeppelin songs. Has this really cool sense of melancholy to yeah. it. Yeah. So, a sentimental favorite for me is Down by the Seaside. Mine is too. I don't think we can get rid of that. That is, that encapsulates the good parts of the second half of Physical Graffiti, where it's like they're doing like disco shit. Yeah. They're doing this country kind of yeah. bop. I don't think we can get rid of Down by the Seaside. Down That's by... Zeppelin experimenting at their best. Yeah, it's them like branching out into basically pop songwriting, especially with that the 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 Down by the Seaside part yeah. and the people turned away part. Yeah. Um, 
I love it. We got it. We'll see what else we can remove, but it's five minutes. Yeah. And we'll see. I mean, what do you think about Sick Again? Is that a cut you could do? <sighs> I know a, you have a soft spot in your heart for Sick, Sick Again. Again's a good song. Sick Again is this straightforward rocker yeah. about like debaucherous touring behavior, basically, of like, yeah. you know what the 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 knock against it is? It's Robert Plant basically singing about having sex with like 14 and 15 year old girls. Doesn't age well. No. Not totally appropriate, I think, for that reason. That was kind of a thing in the band, huh? Yeah, yeah. Really weird. I think we cut it because of that. Does that make sense? And because, honestly, even though I like it and I always thought it was one of the highlights of the back half, on my listen today, it didn't do a ton for me, if I'm being honest. I don't know. No, This is an album that should have been a single album. I know. Physical Graffiti, as much as I loved it in my youth... it really sh- and I still enjoy listening to these songs. Yeah. The ones we're cutting, they're still enjoyable because it's like, oh, just from like almost an archaeo- archaeological standpoint, mm. where it's like, oh, listen to what Jimmy's doing, listen to what John Paul Jones is laying down, and like how weird that they chose to include this on an album. But as an actual album, it's not that engaging. The uh, back I'm half. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm what with do we have? What do we have for a length? Okay, this, this is where this becomes challenging because yeah. we only have ten songs left out of the fifteen. We've cut a third of the album. Yeah. And we're at 57 minutes. So, uh, we either have to cut, like, two more songs or pick a longer one. We can't do that, though. We can't pick a longer one. We're going to have to pick two more songs. Wait, I'm here, gonna... here are my Untouchables right now. Okay. I'll right, tell you my Untouchables. The Rover, I think you can't move. I agree. In My Time of Dying, I think you can't do away with it. I agree. Um, I actually think Houses of the Holy, Trampled and Underfoot, and Cashmere are all in that category. Okay. okay. The rest I would be willing to wiggle with. I can't... I, I, I have 10 Years Gone as being untouchable. Oh, right. Yeah, sorry. 10 Years Gone as well. Okay. I forgot the back half <laughs> was still there. Um, Braun Your R is basically too short to even bother cutting it. And it's point. beautiful. And it's gorgeous. <sighs> yeah, I'm going to throw something out to you. Custard Pie has always been one where it's a good song. Yeah. It's never one of my favorites. I don't think it's a great opener on this album either. I don't think it it starts off on the strongest foot. I think Custard Pie grew on me over the years because it's the opener, because I've heard it so many times. I'm willing to part with it. One reason is because it's one of the more disgusting yeah, rock me, yeah, metaphors me, yes, me I've too. ever heard. Custard Pie. It's, just, it's terrible. It sounds like an STD. Yeah. Because you know Custard Pie is a, 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 a metaphor for sex yeah. or for you know, a woman, one of their conquests. <laughs> Yeah, that's a one of these teenagers. He's yeah, you know, about. Let's get rid of that. You know what? Because custard pie and sick again are bookending the album yeah. in a really gross way. We're getting rid of rid of custard pie too. Clean so, up their act. So we're down to nine songs. Okay, fifty three minutes. We got to make one more cut. Does it have to be wanton song? Um, I think it might have to be. Yeah, so I mean, we can go back and forth on this. I think I might like that song better than Sick Again, but... Oh, we we got rid of Sick Again. Oh, we did. That's with Sick Again gone. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to get rid of this. We do. We do. So that leaves us with eight tracks. A lean album A here. A lean night. That's like kind of like how their early albums, though. 49 minutes. Eight songs. Eight songs. Listen to the, the weight we got here, though. This is a strong track list. We are now opening with The Rover. Mm-hmm. Goes into In My Time of Dying. Houses of the Holy at number three. Trampled Underfoot at number four. Cashmere at number five. Bronyarar at number six. Down by the Seaside, number seven. In the album closer is Ten Years Gone, which I think is an amazing album closer. This is a better album. You can't tell me it's not a better album. This is album. a better album. You know, Sean, here's my question. Where were we when they were... Some of these songs should have been on the cutting this room This is floor. classic... 
mid to late 1970s rock and roll bloat that yeah. we just cut down to a punk rock level. We did. <laughs> I, I, I didn't expect bloat as, <laughs> as a noun. Uh, yeah, I mean, an hour 22 is excessive. That's too long. I got to be honest with you. So we've done other Trim the Fats, yeah. and it's just been an exercise in in eliminating things where we really maybe didn't need to. Yeah. This feels like the best trim the fat we've had so far. Like this is a a more listenable version of this album. We might have eliminated a couple of things here and there that we like. Yeah, definitely. But still. But again, we're cutting things that we like as big Led Zeppelin fans. Right. Where if you are listening from just an outsider's perspective, you're not going to want to touch physical graffiti. If this is the actual track listing of physical graffiti, is this their best album? Wow, that's a really good question. I think it's still tough to beat. So objectively, their best is what? Probably four? Four, probably. I th- there's a lot so of people much... say one. One's gotten... And, and we love houses, so... Yeah, well, my favorites are one in houses. And the I honestly think I fall right in with the, the, the camp of contrarians mm. who try to argue those are better than four. I don't f- try to argue that. I think four is the best. I think this would... would Sort of butt heads with those. It would be in the running. Yeah. It'd be in that category. Yeah, we so give too. short shrift to two. We do. Why think, is that? I'll tell you why it is for me. Is, is it because, thank you? Uh, it's, a, it's a fine question. Yeah. Um, I think it's a couple things. One, yeah, thank you is not great. Two, it's the first one I got into. I've had it around the longest. I'm most tired of it. Three, there's some of the stuff they're doing that I don't totally love anymore. Living, like, loving, made. Yeah, I think that song's okay. The extended drum solo in Moby Dick doesn't oh, do a yeah. ton for me anymore. Although it's Bonham at his best. But they always yeah. said that the studio version didn't capture what he yeah, did live. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. I think that, that new <coughs> physical graffiti could, could sort of uh, compete. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so that was a good trim the fat. I like that. Let's round it off with everyone's favorite segment. Um, oh, wait, we have a quick trust tree. Yeah, trust tree and then two truths and a quick, lie. Very, very quick. Yeah, what, what is yours? Mine's kind of related to yours. Yeah, so basically, this may as well be called Revisionist History because it's looking at last week's episode where we reassessed 2016 and thought about what are some of our favorite albums with retrospect. One I forgot to mention completely, and I know, Sean, this is growing on you too, is that Lumineers album, Cleopatra. Yeah. I, you know, saying you love the Lumineers is not a cool thing. It's not like something where you're going to get a lot of, uh, it's not hip, you know, to say you love the Lumineers. This album's really, really good. It is. Angela's a great song. Cleopatra's a great song. Ophelia's a great song. Gun, Gun song. song is awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, Sleep on the Floor. Yeah. The whole first half I love, and the second half is good, not great, but, yeah. but still good. Yeah, I don't think we really gave it the attention it maybe deserved no. last year. Because I think, like it or not, fair or not, we let that perception of like, oh, it's the Lumineers. Like, you know, this isn't you know, maybe worthy of serious conversation a lot of the time because it's, you know, it's Lumineers. But I think outside of that, this is still really, really enjoyable. Well, and that's my point is that I think it is, actually. Yeah. It's okay. actually a really yeah. good record. Yeah. And it's like, they for, sometimes I do <clears throat> let that, that mentality of like, the coolness factor play into whether I'll listen, even if I like it or not. Yeah. Mumford & Sons is a band that happens to yeah. all the time where they're just like considered lame as shit and so no one listens to them if they take themselves quote-unquote seriously. Right. But anyways, yeah, Lumineers, worth another listen. And, and just going off that point, I forgot to mention last week that um, I discovered with this album in this year is the Drive-By Truckers American Band album. So I, I that one got a ton of good reviews last year, and I was like, ah, it's like Southern Rock, like Drive-By Truckers, I'm not going to like that. I finally went back and listened to this year. That would be a top 15 album for me last year now, if I were to redo my rankings. Mm-hmm. So... 
Um, I forgot to mention that, but I wanted to give that a little bit of attention. So let's round off the episode with uh, two truths and a lie. I got this one. So speaking of things we didn't get to last week because we were talking um, albums from this year, uh, we missed all the hubbub about Sgt. Pepper. Yes. Uh, having a 50th anniversary. Mm. So my two truths and a lie is about Sgt. Pepper. Okay, okay. Um, okay, so here we go. Number one. The final cost for the album's famous cover art was nearly 3,000 pounds, an extravagant sum for a time when album covers typically cost around 50 pounds. Number two. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think it's Gilles or Giles. Okay. Giles Martin, son of George Martin. Yes, yep. Who remixed the 50th anniversary edition of Sgt. Pepper. As a toddler, Giles was in the studio with his father for some of the initial recording sessions for Sgt. Pepper. Number three. Also in 1967, the Rolling Stones released their Satanic Majesty's Request, an album widely panned as derivative of Sgt. Pepper. And if you've seen the album cover, you know why. Yeah. They basically are staging that exactly. Um, so the fact is, if you look closely on the cover, you can see each of the faces of the Beatles... Reportedly a response to the Beatles' inclusion of a doll on Sgt. Pepper's album cover that's wearing a sweater that says, Welcome the Rolling Stones. I think I have heard that before. I'm going to say that one is true. Okay. Now the other ones... I mean, was Giles Martin in the studio? Maybe, maybe not. What's that? Also, I'm really bad with how much things cost... Like in the past, could be you could throw out any number. I'd be like, yeah, that sounds right. I, I'm gonna go with three thousand pounds as not being right, and yeah, I'm gonna go with that one as as the the lie. Okay, wrong. God damn it! I <laughs> you had you had it halfway there. It's the Giles Martin thing. Okay. Um, the truth is that he wasn't born yet when the album that, was made. Yeah. He was okay. born in 1969. The album was made in 67. Okay. okay. That's a tough one. It, yeah. But tough. it's, I mean, that's two truths and a lie. Them's the breaks. That's the game. That's the, right. The game is the game, The game's the game. That's right. Speaking of games, and this is a really quick, there's nothing to do with the episode, and we can cut it if you want. Did you see on the ringer, the Where's Wallace yeah, game? Yeah, 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 I did. For any Wire fans. I did, yeah. Check that yeah, out. Yeah, that was cool. That was Where's cool. Wallace? Big shout to the ringer. Big shout to the Wire. And Wallace. All right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, big show. No spoilers here. All right, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Okay, we're on the mic. Right. For better or for worse. Ready or not. Here we come. Um, Red Rover, Red Rover. Send our podcast right over. Uh, <laughs> it's a good thing I said that. Off to a great start. <laughs> um, I don't think I have anything. No? For the pre-show, do you? No. I mean, we just did talk. We could have talked about the finals, but we just did. And we didn't record it. And yeah. I mean, to recreate that would be sort of disingenuous. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Congrats to the Warriors. Yeah. Uh, happy you won, but, it, you know, how good can you really feel about it? <laughs> I mean, do you think that they're going to, like, repeat, three-peat?
Realistically? Yeah. Oh, I think they win again next year. Yeah, easily. Do you, easily. Think, they, do you think they can go on like a historic run? I think I think they could. Yeah. I think they could. Um, like in terms of like number of championships. Yeah, it's in a hard row. to say though because that shit's tough to do. It's really hard, and there's nothing you can't account for a lot of stuff. Right, going to happen. Injury, and, and both Steph and Durant have been injury prone in the past. That's true, and I mean, you get to a point where you have to pay all those guys too. Like yeah. they're all going to contracts are eventually going to hit. That's true. Um, so I, I don't know if they can keep all of them, and then there's a matter of filling out your bench. And everything. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I think the NBA is made to not have that happen anymore, really. Yeah, probably. And That's why the most we've seen people win in a row is since like the 60s is three. Yeah, I love that back in the 60s it was just like you win fucking 15 out of 16. Yeah. Or whatever the Celtics yeah. say, 11 out of 13. Yeah, so I mean. Could you imagine if a team did that now? That would be insane. It seems crazy. It would actually be really, really bad for the league. Yeah. I think that's actually just a sign of a bad league. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah. More than anything. Like, right. I mean, Celtics fans hang our hats on that for sure. Right. But I think we kind of know it's bullshit. <laughs> it's a totally different league. We're like, 17 banners. <laughs> like, no, fuck you. It doesn't really be like... Like, 12 of those don't count. <laughs> Or just shouldn't. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> but yeah, uh, congrats to the 2016-2017 uh, Golden State Warriors. You should narrate their championship DVD. <laughs> like Lee Shri- or Liev Shriver yeah, yeah. does for what's it, Hard Knocks? Yeah. When training camp started. <laughs> it's funny, he doesn't even sound like that in reality. No, well he doesn't really sound like... I Actually, the people I like better are like the NFL films, the old Me school too. NFL films guys. Where their voice is like, it's basically a joke. How ridiculous yeah. they sound. Yeah, and uh, I've noticed. And you know, hot star. John Hamm does the Mercedes Benz commercials. Yeah. He doesn't actually sound like that when he talks. It's like it, this exaggerated version of his voice. You, it, it's weird because you can tell it's his voice, but it definitely seems it's a put on. It's like he's sort of yelling. Yeah, yeah, but it not is. yelling. Right, I know, I know so exactly. There's a husky what you mean. tone to it too that isn't yeah, it's, there. It's definitely more, and they probably like asked for that. Yeah, because they yeah. wanted a certain kind of voice. They probably didn't want it to be just his. John Krasinski does those. What is it? Insurance. Yeah, I, yeah. and he is. Like, These are pretty straightforward. Well, and like it's interesting how branding can go into the voice you pick. Because for insurance, they're going for like this friendly approach. Right, and John Krasinski's voice has that like that kind of mm-hmm. sound to it. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, just little little tip from the biz, Sean. Um, before you start, get a sip of uh, fresh spring water. Oh, oh okay. clears the throat. Oh, you mean for, like my dirty tap water? Clears the larynx. Okay. Mm. I'm not confident um, what exactly the larynx is. I'm not either, actually. I think it has to do with your throat. Yeah, I, I could be wrong. It could be part of the inner ear. I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm fully confident. I don't know. All right, are you ready? I am. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one. <laughs>